we come to Genesis 19. And if you've read ahead, um, I, I'm not sure what your experience has been as you read through Genesis 19. But wow, uh, this is one of those chapters of the Bible that if you don't believe the Bible and you're critical of the Bible or critical of Christianity, uh, people like that often pull verses out of uh, Genesis 19 and make accusations in regards to false ideas that Christians might believe or that the Bible teaches. But of course, that comes from not looking at the Bible as a whole book or even looking at Genesis as a whole book and understanding the context of what we're reading here. For those of us who are believers and understand God's word to be inerrant and infallible uh, in its original uh, giving to us, uh, we look at something like Genesis 19 and we wonder, wow, what is, what is God teaching us here? Well, at the same time, I would say to you, I'm thankful that what we see here is an honest, um, an honest presentation of who we are as human beings, a clear understanding of the depravity of our sin, and, and a clear picture of who God is and what He intends to do in regards to saving us. With that in mind, uh, let's go ahead and read. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then um, we're going to, under the scriptural introduction, we're going to, there's some questions that I've had all week that have been uh, attention for me, uh, and I want them uh, to be before us and know that, that we're thinking about that as we go through what God maybe has to say to us this morning. Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate at Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose and went to them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And he said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, that you may rise up early and go on your way. They, the angels, said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But Lot pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. In other words, that we may have sex with them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him. And he said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known, who have not uh, had sex with any man. Let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn with us, and he has become a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the men, that's the angels, reached out their hand and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they, the angels struck the men with blindness who were at the entrance of the house so that small and great, uh, they wore themselves out groping for the door. The angels said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry of its people has become so great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy this city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As the morning dawned, the angels 
urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your lives. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And all my life will be saved. He said to him, the angel, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went up early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like fire from the smoke of a furnace. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities to which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on the earth to come to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, last night I lay with my father. Let us make drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drunk with wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. And he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Wow, brothers, that is a, that's a disturbing passage. And as I was reading it and studying it, one of the things that came to me, and this is all under our scriptural introduction, is, is Lot a righteous man? I mean, the, the, the God saved him out of that. And it was from the prayer of Abraham, if there's one righteous, and, and so God was saving Lot, is he righteous? But you look at what he did and how he responded, and you look at the the grossness of him offering his daughters in order to protect these men, it doesn't make sense to us. You, offer, you see what happened in his family. You see the way he, he haggles with the Lord and tries to hold on. And you think, is this guy a believer? How could this guy be a believer? And honestly, if all we had was Genesis 19, I think I, along with other pastors and you and scholars, will conclude we, we, we don't think he could be. But I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. And uh, we're going to look there a couple times. So I, I need us all to be there. 2 Peter chapter 2. 
And we need to remember that as Peter is writing his two epistles, that Peter is writing as one inspired by the Holy Spirit to deliver us to us the Word of God. So this is the inspired Word of God. And if it weren't the inspired Word of God, we would have questions. But here in 2 Peter chapter 2, at verse 6, as, as Peter talks about the way that God judges the wicked, says this, verse 6 of 2 Peter chapter 2, If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Twice it says there, righteous man. Now I want you to you know, hold your place in there. Go back to Genesis 19, but make sure that you've marked that because we've got to go back to 2 Peter. And if it weren't for God's word saying that Lot was a righteous man twice, and now we know that righteousness comes not because of his goodness, but it comes because God set his affections on Lot and gave him the gift of faith. And in giving him the gift of faith, his faith has justified him before the Lord, as we learned in Genesis 15 regarding Abraham. And so we see that, but we still feel this tension. The other thing that I was asking myself this week is what is the sin of Sodom? What, what, because we need to make that clear. Now again, if we, if we just had Genesis 19, and this is kind of where I think we've landed generally in our churches, in our Sunday school classes, maybe in our personal study, that the sin of Sodom was, was gross, rampant homosexuality. Or if, you, if, if you, you know, really are, are, if we're really intellectually honest, it, while it included gross uh, rampant homosexuality, it also included every kind of uh, sexual uh, deviance. And it wasn't, just, um, it wasn't just obviously consensual, but it was abusive. It was violent. And of course, we, we get in that place and we think, yeah, that, that, that kind of thing deserves God's punishment. That's true. That's very true. And we read in other places in Scripture, like if you go to the book of Jude, remember the book of Jude only has one chapter, you go to verse 7, it makes it clear that the sexual immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, was rampant, and God judged that. But there's another place in Scripture that we have to turn to to fully understand the sin of Sodom, and that is Ezekiel chapter 16. Prophet Ezekiel, speaking again inspired by the Holy Spirit, excuse me, uh, yeah, chapter 16, inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoke of Sodom as well. In that chapter, uh, God is declaring, prophesying through Ezekiel uh, that he has set his affections on Israel, but that her, as it says in the chapter, her sisters like Samaria and all the countries around them, that, that they have acted differently and that they have deserved condemnation. And he mentions Sodom here, verse 48 of Ezekiel 16 says this, As I live, declares the Lord God, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you have done or your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. 
but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty, and they did an abomination before me. So I removed them when I saw it. When you put that together with, remember what we studied last week in Genesis 18, as as Abraham is talking with God, and God says about Sodom and Gomorrah, I've heard the outcry, and twice he uses the word outcry. That same word appears here. And remember, we said the outcry that God heard was not some kind of philosophical, supernatural, you know, God is just and he just hears injustice as an outcry. Remember that word study in the Old Testament in the Hebrew would, uh, would show us clearly that this outcry is actually coming from victims. And so it's personal. It's not general. God heard the cries of abused victims, people that were being abused by those in power, being exploited by those in power. And brothers, when you put all that stuff together, I think we have to conclude that what was going on in Sodom, and remember the reason Lot chose to go live there, the reason he chose to go live there because that was, that was a beautiful, prosperous, lakeside, metropolitan, wealth was there. This was a great place to live. This was the ultimate place to live. That's why Lot chose it when Abraham gave him the choice. And so this place has enjoyed incredible prosperity. And in that prosperity, there has arisen pride, a haughty spirit. Out of that, those who had, those who were the wealthy, were exploiting the needy and the poor and not taking care of them. That exploitation, when, un, when, 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 it's, when it's not stopped, when there's nothing to, to, to keep it from going forward, ultimately moves into sexual exploitation. And sexual exploitation... And abuse eventually moves into all kinds of deviant behavior. But as I studied this, I thought, wow, this hits, the sin of Sodom hits a lot closer to home for me personally than just, oh, those people, those terrible, wicked people. He's like, oh, wow. A lot of food, wealth, pride, ease, pleasure, and not any concern for the needy and the underprivileged. That's where it began. That's the core of the sin of Sodom. What is God teaching us this morning? What does God want to teach us? Certainly, Sodom and Gomorrah have been given to us throughout Scripture. It makes it clear, even in Genesis 18 and 19, it makes it clear that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah as an example to show show His judgment on wickedness. Remember, we even understood last week that that judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't because they were more wicked than some other cities like Zoar. It's just that God said, you know what, I'm going to make these two cities an example. And throughout Scripture, you see that that Sodom and Gomorrah were given as an example. So certainly, it's that God wants us to see an example of his judgment, what he does what is just, as we said, uh, we saw in Genesis 18. That won't the, the judge of all the earth do what is just or do what is right. But I also think that they speak about a lot about Lot in this passage. In fact, if you look in your ESV Bibles at the, at the kind of the title of Genesis 19, look what it says. It says, God rescues Lot. God rescues Lot from what? Second Peter 2 that we just read twice, it said something. It says that Lot was greatly distressed. And then it says that Lot was tormenting, that he, Lot, was tormenting his righteous soul. It's interesting. It doesn't say that the sin 
that he saw tormented his righteous soul. It said that Lot was tormenting his righteous The distressing, the, the tormenting seems to be something spurning within Lot. And brothers, what I think is it's this, and this is what's going to take up the rest of our time in the outline. I think Lot has let sin entangle him in a way that has brought incredible destruction, not just on this city, but on Lot himself, on his family. And I think it's a warning for us. And so I've listed that in our outline as dangers because I think God's word for us this morning is to be a warning to us personally about sin that so easily entangles us. And what are the dangers that we see here as we look at this? I think first of all, in verses 1 through 3, uh, you see this on the outline, the dangers of assimilation, the dangers of assimilating to this culture. It says in verses 1 through 3 that Lot was sitting at the gate. Uh, you'll remember of any other study that we've ever done on, on uh, Old Testament, even some uh, early New Testament culture, to sit at the gate, the gate is where all the business took place. If you were sitting at the gate, you were either a prominent businessman or you were actually a judge, a leader in the city. The leaders and the prominent businessmen, they sat at the gate. That's where the major commerce was done. So the fact that the Bible makes it clear that he was sitting at the gate uh, is to make clear that Lot is either a prominent businessman or a leader or a judge in the city or maybe all three or one of the two. That is very interesting. Because you remember in Genesis 13, verse 12, when Lot chose the land to live down there because it was nice? Remember it said that he put his tents near Sodom? Chapter 13, verse 12. And then remember the progression? Chapter 14, verse 12. We find that Lot is living in Sodom. And now, as one pastor says in Genesis 19:1, we see that Sodom is living in Lot. Progression of his sin. He has, he has gone near the wickedness. He has entered into the wickedness. And now he's let the culture enter into him. Dangers of assimilation. And Lot knows how bad the city is. He knows, he knows you can tell in verses 1 through 3, he knows how bad the city is. Because the angels say, no, no, we don't need to stay at your house. We'll just stay in the town square. And Lot's like, no, 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 you cannot do that. Because he knows what's going to happen to these men if they stay in the town square because he knows his city. He knows his city. He knows the wickedness. And yet not only has he chosen to live in this city and put himself and his family in that context, but he's letting the city live in him. Dangers of assimilation. I think the second thing that we see, the second warning that we have for us in verses 4 through 11 is the dangers of worldly wisdom. The dangers of worldly wisdom. This is such a disturbing interchange that Lot has with these men of the city, isn't it? Especially if any of us have daughters or, or, or granddaughters. I mean, this is, it's almost like you're speechless when you, when you read it. How in the world does Lot think, hey, I'm going to, you know, these men who, these visitors, and he, he knows, that, he knows that they're special. He knows that they're probably from God. I, it's not clear that he understands that they're angels. But these men have come to, to visit his house. And he does make the right decision 
to try to protect them. He goes out and he stands before these, this, this crowd and he's, he says, I, you know, you, you, I'm not going to let you have these men. But then he offers this exchange that is so disturbing. Here, why don't you, I'll bring my daughters out. They're virgins. You can do to them as you please. And a lot of scholars are trying to figure out what was going on here. And, and even probably the most, the most gracious interpretation of this uh, could be that in Mesopotamian culture, to offer, uh, to, uh, because they were betrothed, it says they, had, they, they were betrothed to these men. He was about to have sons-in-law. Because they were already engaged to these men, in many places in Mesopotamian culture, if you, if you uh, abused, raped, uh, had sex with a woman who was already engaged to someone else that was breaking a law. And so maybe, maybe Lot was thinking, well, you know, most of these men probably know they're engaged and maybe they won't really do anything. But that's not what he says. And even if that's what he did, it's still a disturbing exchange. Here's what I think's happening. I think rather than approaching this situation, it's very difficult with godly wisdom. Lot is approaching it with worldly wisdom. He's using his own logic, and his own logic is so faulty because sin has entangled his life. And so he tries to do the right thing at the very beginning. His initial response is the right thing. Only instead of relying on God and trusting in God and thinking through how, how God would have me do this, he tries to logic it out himself. And in doing so, he ends up in a place that's actually sin. It's terrible. Brothers, you and I, we all know this, don't we? We, have, we, have, we are in a, in a culture right now and in a time and a history of the world and our country and, and even in our city. We're navigating the, uh, the social complexities and the political complexities that we're facing right now. It's so difficult. It's, it's, it's maybe never been more difficult for some of us in our entire lives. And I know there is a great temptation for us to apply worldly wisdom to these situations. What, what's an example of what I mean by that? Well, we, we want to be, we know it's an instinct, it's right as followers of Christ for us to be kind, to be gracious, to be loving. And so we, that's a good instinct. We attempt to be kind and gracious and loving. But in our, in our, in our, in our attempt to do that, sometimes we let go of godly wisdom and instead we attach ourselves to worldly wisdom. We try to noodle it out ourselves and think how we should do this. And we end up compromising or allowing compromise or even advocating for very things that God would find a sin. And yet we've, it's made sense to us. Why? Because the sin has so easily entangled us and we're using worldly wisdom instead of godly wisdom to deal with these issues. The dangers of worldly wisdom. Thirdly, I think the warning for us in verses 12 through 14 is the dangers of compromise. It's interesting as the angels say, hey, go, uh, you know, do you have sons in law, sons? There's an urgency. You can hear the urgency in the angels, in the angels voice and says, uh, you know, go, uh, go tell them. So it says that Lot goes and talks to his sons in law. Both his daughters are betrothed, are engaged to these men. 
And he goes to them to plead with them, to tell them. Thought to myself as I studied this, looked at this, thought about the sin that so easily entangles and thought, hmm, where are these men from? These men that he's letting his, his daughters marry. I, it's, they're from Sodom. These aren't godly men. These aren't God-fearers. These aren't righteous men. But they're, but they're men from Sodom. And I just wonder if what Lot was thinking is, even as he's supposedly someone who understands and fears God in some at least minuscule way, but he's let Sodom get into him and, and he's now a prominent either leader or businessman in Sodom. And it's a great place to live. It's the place to live. And you know what? He doesn't want his daughters to be single. So he's compromised. Yeah, he's probably thinking they probably shouldn't marry these Sodom men. That's probably not what God wants. But I mean, maybe God doesn't want, I mean, I can't believe God wants my daughters to be single in this environment. You know what can happen with that. So he compromises his own principles. He compromises what he understands God's wants because he's using worldly wisdom, and now he's applying it to his own family. Instead of trusting God, he instead is like, yeah, it's going to work out. Maybe he even thought, you know what? Those guys get in, be part of this family, and maybe we can teach them to be God-fearers. That's what will happen. They'll be around us, and they'll know that. It's a compromise. And clearly, he had compromised if he had had that thought, he had compromised even that because he clearly hadn't really ever talked to his sons-in-law about God, about being a God-fearer. Because when he does go to speak to them, what's their response? They think he's joking. They probably think he's joking because it's probably the first time they've ever heard him talk about it. And so while maybe in his head he was thinking, well, yeah, it's probably not best but you know what? I, I can't believe God wouldn't want my daughters to be married, so I'm going to go ahead and compromise on who they marry. But you know, we'll have an influence on them. Only he hasn't had any influence on them. We're not even sure he's ever talked to them about it. And now he goes to talk to them about it at a key moment. And they're like, what are you talking? Are you telling jokes, man? Dangers of compromise. Judgment has come. And all this time he has compromised in this area. And now it's too late. Go on, number four. See the dangers of self-sufficiency. I told you last week that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an underliner. Um, and this is the, the one verse I definitely wanted to underline in my Bible was verse 16. But let's look at verse 15 first. As the morning dawned, the angels urge Lot. In other words, now the sun is coming up. This conversation, all this stuff's been going on all night. Destruction's coming. They were sent to get Lot and his family out. And the angels are like, the sun is coming up. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've got to go. We need to get out of here. Let's go. Let's get everything. Get out of here. And then verse 16. But Lot lingered. Why did he linger? Because... Sodom had its tentacles in Lot. Lot had compromised. Lot had, there's a lot. He was going to have to leave a lot of things. It's going to cost him his job, his relationships. It was going to 
man, he lingered. But, and this is the part I underline, or so, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and I love this phrase, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lots lingering. Who knows what the three other girls, women were doing, but the angels literally grabbed them by the hands and just rushed them out. Doesn't necessarily say that they were resisting, but they weren't helping. They weren't running. The angels were running. They were being dragged out. And it says the Lord being merciful to them. The severe mercy of God. I thought about um, when my sons uh, were little, uh, age like four and uh, or five and three, four and two, and we lived in this house in Augusta, Georgia, and uh, had a great backyard. They had all this, you know, all this stuff to play on, and um, uh, and out in the front of our our house was a pretty pretty busy street, not not Poplar Avenue, but but busy enough that I wasn't going to have my kids playing out in the front yard. Um, so I had created a wonderful backyard for them to play in and made it clear you're going to be punished if you go in the front yard. And um, particularly uh, uh, my second son, Zach, was always eager um, to blatantly run for anything that I said he shouldn't do. And so I turned my head to do something in the, in the garden shed and Zach's running to the front. I don't even know what he thought he was going to find there, you know, because there's no toys. There's nothing up there. But he's up there. And I remember I'd go get him. And one time I was, I was grabbing him by the arm and I'm bringing him back to the backyard and he's fighting me. And he says, you're hurting my arm. You're hurting me. And of course, I, in my head, I was thinking, if I let you go, it's going to hurt a lot more to get hit by a car. <laughs> This little hurt is nothing. I'm trying to save you from this. That's a severe mercy. To grab that God in his mercy says, no, no, I don't care if I'm going to hurt your arms. I don't care what we're going to hurt. I don't care that you're having to leave all your stuff, your house, everything. We're going. And he puts them outside the city. But what does Lot do? Not only does he linger, but then there's this interchange when, when, the, when the angels say, no, go up, go up to the, get to the hills, keep running, go. Get as far away from this valley as you possibly can. Get out of this valley. This prosperous, you know, wonderful valley with all these great cities. Get out of here. And Lot says, oh, wait, wait a second. I can't do that. If I go there, I'm going to die. If I go up into that place, you tell me, I don't even know, how do I make a life for myself up there? I don't even know how to make a life for myself up there. But I've made a life for myself here. I've established myself here. I've worked hard. I've made it. And, and you're telling me to let go of everything about me that I've worked hard to establish. And just to Go because you say go? I've, I've, I've done a good job here. And so he says, it's just so crazy the way he says it. He says, well, well look at the, just let me go to that little city. That, that, little, that little city there. And then he, it's just even so funny. He says in verse 20 to the angel, I mean, is it not little? 
It's just like saying, you know, it's not, it's not like crazy, crazy metropolitan like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's just a little one. As one writer put it, Lot wanted to hold on to at least a little Sodom. A little bit of his, what he had created. He had established and, and he's thinking, no, I don't think I can trust God to just go do what he says. I've actually worked pretty hard and I've actually been pretty successful in this valley. And I, and I need to rely on what I'm doing. So you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually negotiate with God to tell God what I think I need. And what I need is to stay in this valley. And you know what, okay God, maybe I'll just, just give me a little bit of it. And you know, I'll, I'll make a life for myself there. I don't know why God, I don't know why God said okay. Um, there's lots of places in the Bible where you go, you know, clearly that was not the Lord's will. Why did he, or, or why did God, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't obe full obedience. Why did God allow that? I don't know. He does that in our lives sometimes too, don't we? Negotiate with God and he allows us. It, it, maybe, maybe to allow us to get to the end of our self-sufficiency. Maybe to expose, maybe he allows it to expose our need of him. But whatever the case, Lot is so entangled that he can't even trust God to do what he says. He's got to make a place for himself because he's trusting in himself. And then we see in verses 23 through 29 the dangers of wealth and comfort. Now the destruction has come and it is interesting to, to try to figure out what, 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 did this, what did this destruction of this rain down of fire and sulfur mean. Some people trying to explain it away will say, uh, well, you know, in, in that area there, was some major, there are major uh, petroleum deposits under, under the ground. Remember we read before about the bitumen pits? The pits that actually where you, you get tar and asphalt, that kind of material, there's, those were all around and kind of open. So there's, there's highly toxic and flammable materials in there. And it also happens to be on a fault line that runs from, from north of the Dead Sea through that area and actually all the way down over into Africa and what creates the Rift Valley. So that's the fault that takes, so there's, you know, so there's probably an earthquake, people say there's probably an earthquake, and an earthquake ignited, and the gases came up, it ignited those gases, and it created kind of a rain of fire and sulfur, which destroyed uh, those cities as a result of all the, uh, all the flammable materials, natural materials that were in that area. Okay, I'm fine with that, as long as we're clear, the Bible said God did it. Maybe that's how God did it, but God did it. <laughs> God was the one who caused these things to happen. God was the one who caused the destruction of these cities, and those cities were destroyed. And then it says, you know, that verse that says uh, there at verse 26, Lot's wife, who was behind Lot, looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt. And I don't know if you remember your, story, your, you know, your, your storybook Bibles, and it seems like, you know, it's like they're all running as a family with the angels. And, and then, you know, Lot's, Lot's wife looks back over her shoulder like this, takes a glance, and boom, turns into a pillar of salt. I remember thinking as a kid, gosh, it would have been so hard not to look back. 
<laughs> God's going to rain down sulfur and fire, but I'm not allowed to look. I'd like to look. What does that mean? Uh, I don't think from the text and the way it's arranged, you can come to that conclusion that she just looked back. Look back has to mean something else because remember the angel said, I can't destroy the city until you get to Zoar. Zoar was about five or six miles away. And so it took them from the morning until the, to the high noon, uh, the middle of the day, as it says in the text, to get to Zoar, and then the destruction came. So they would have already been in Zoar. They would have been looking at, at the destruction. They would have seen it. No, what it seems is not that she just looked back. It seems that what this text is saying is that she went back. That she was on her way back. And why do I say the dangers of wealth and comfort? Well, because I think she went back for her stuff. And you say, well, how do you say that, Todd? Well, because Jesus, I think, said it. In Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, Jesus is speaking about Lot, uh, excuse me, about destruction, about Sodom and Gomorrah, and, uh, or about, about judgment, and he speaks about Lot's wife. And listen to what he says in verse 28 of chapter 17. This is Jesus speaking. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Prosperous, wealthy. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. So what's Jesus saying? Don't go back for your stuff. Don't go back for your possessions. And then look what it says after remember Lot's wife. Verse 33, Jesus says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I think that Lot was like, uh-uh. This is ridiculous. I have a great house back there. I'm a wealthy woman. You're going to take me to the fields? You're going to take me to this little Zoar place? Uh-uh. No, I'm, I've, I've, got, I've got prestige back there. <laughs> we just remodeled our house, Lot. I got the kitchen I always wanted. <laughs> I left all my clothes back. Nuh-uh. I'm going back. Dangers of wealth and ease, the entanglement of that sin. And finally, brothers, the dangers of fear and shame. Why do I say fear? Here's this disturbing verses, verses 30 through 38, regarding uh, Lot's daughters. Why do I say fear? Well, I say fear because in verse 30 it says he was afraid. Lot went up out of Zoar, so he wasn't living in Zoar. He went in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. And now he's living in a cave. Why was he afraid to live in Zoar? Well, maybe he was afraid to live in Zoar because he thought, man, that punishment's going to come here too. This place is just as wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. And he was afraid it's going to rain down here. I probably shouldn't have compromised. Or maybe his fear was they're going to blame me in Zoar. They're going to find out that I escaped. And they're going to blame me for that. They're going to find out I'm a God-fearer. 
And now he's in a cave. And let me tell you, in Mesopotamian culture at this time, caves weren't a place to live. Caves were what you purchased in order to, to be your grave, your tomb. We'll find out later. We'll see Abraham did that. Purchased a cave for a tomb. He's basically living in a tomb out of his fear. Why do I, why do I say shame? Well, I say shame because you've got to ask yourself the question, why didn't you go back to Abraham? Why didn't you go back to Abraham? Abraham would have taken him. Abraham was praying for him. Abraham was the reason he's alive. Isn't it often then when we've sinned, we're ashamed. And instead of going to the places of repentance and, and, and freedom and restoration, we get caught in our own fear and shame so much because sin has entangled us. And brothers, as you know, shame almost always leads to more sin and shame. Shame doesn't lead to obedience. The more we feel shamed, the more often we just spiral into sin. Boy, that shame is even displayed in the response of his daughters. His daughters are just applying the same compromise and worldly wisdom that they saw their father display. This, this, uh, this abomination wasn't just an abomination to the Lord. It was actually an abomination to Mesopotamian culture. I mean, it, it was even, even in that vile, violent, abusive culture, incest was not, a, was not okay. But what are they thinking? They're thinking in the same compromising, not seeking God, not trusting God, self-sufficient way of how to fix their problems. But you know what? That's what they saw in their dad. And it's just a sad ending to this story. And a warning to us that we would not let fear and shame keep us from returning to the Lord. Keep us from returning to our churches. Keep us from returning to worship. Sometimes people say to me, I just can't go to worship, Todd. I'm struggling so much with sin. And I'm like, that's the only place you need to be is in worship. You've got to come back. Boy, I can't. I'm struggling so much with sin. I can't come to Amen Bible study. I'd feel such like a hypocrite. Hey, join the club. We're all hypocrites here. We're here to seek grace and find grace. We're not here because we got our lives together. We're here because we don't have our lives together and we want to seek God's word. Well, where is the grace, you'd say? I think we've done a good job of making sure we understand the grace and mercy of God in every place we've looked. And here we are at the end of the story and it's just disturbing. Where is the gospel in this disturbing story? Well, I think we find it back in 2 Peter. So turn back there as we close. We see in verses 8 of 2 Peter chapter 2, yeah, verses 7 and 8, righteous Lot greatly distressed, righteous man lived among them day after day. He was tormenting his righteous soul. The entanglement of sin was a conflict with the faith that God had given him. But look what it says in verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from their trials. The only answer we can give to how, what happened to Lot is that Lot was not only rescued from the destruction of Sodom, but that Lot was rescued from the destruction of his own soul by a gracious and merciful God. And brothers, 
That same God rescues us day after day from our own tormenting our soul. He brings grace and mercy and rescues us from the foolishness that we pursue. And he's the one who has us. How did Lot make it to heaven? How in the world? Because he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Christ alone can get us home. And Christ alone will get you home. Why did I entitle it The Sin That So Easily Entangles? Because as I read this and I thought about the grace that God has given us, the grace is displayed in repentance and rescue and bringing us back in righteousness and freeing us to live a different way. And so there, after chapter 11 of Hebrews, that great chapter of faith, when it displays how God has, has brought faith to all these people, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Now, let's run the race before us, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of God's faithfulness. And let us throw off the things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles. Brothers, for now we live on this earth and we live in this city. We are supposed to be in the world, but not of it. And we have, by God's grace, been given the freedom to throw it off, to throw off any sin, any sin that easily entangles. Brothers, I urge all of us today, today, to throw off whatever sin is entangling you. Because God has given you the grace to do it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the beauty and the power of your word. Thank you for the way you teach us. In every place, in every place in scripture, you teach us. And Lord, thank you for these brothers that encourage me every week by their faithfulness to want to sit under your word. And now, Father, as was prayed at the very beginning, Help us not to be hearers of the word only, but also doers of the word, that we might be blessed. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.